everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Well Actually, the Athletic MMA's podcast about MMA and other stuff. This is your host, Fernanda Prates, and I guess I don't really have to tell you that this has been quite a tough week in sports. Well, not just in sports. The helicopter accident that killed Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, and seven other people hit everyone like a ton of bricks. And it has been, understandably, quite a weird and heavy few days. Even for those who, like me, don't really follow basketball and didn't get to see Bryant's career unfold, it's always hard to make sense of these types of very public and senseless tragedies. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about Bryant today. Plenty of people who are much more equipped and involved than I am are already having these conversations, and as good as I am at making everything about myself, I'm just going to relieve myself from these duties on this particular show, or at least on this particular intro. Instead, I'm going to try something a little different. In a move that feels completely alien and unnatural to me, I'm going to try a little positivity. I know, it felt weird to even say it out loud, but the truth is, no matter how you look at and discuss Brian's legacy, and we know it's not a spotless legacy, this was a tragedy. People are shocked and sad and confused, and they're dealing with it the best way they know how which includes sharing corny messages about how we should hug our loved ones and not take anything for granted and be appreciative of stuff. This episode, it turns out, is one of those corny messages. In the aftermath of the loss of an athlete, I decided to pay a little homage to our own athletes and to our sport. And instead of listing all the ways in which it's fixing, Today, I'm going to list some of the aspects of MMA that don't make me feel like gouging my own eyes out with a fork. In normal person words, things that I appreciate in MMA. Just don't get used to it, okay? Next week, I am back on my bitter bullshit. The first item on this list is pretty straightforward. A good thing about MMA? The athletes. There's this question that I constantly ask my guests and that I also always get asked when I'm doing other people's shows. What keeps you in MMA? The answer is, of course, Stockholm Syndrome, but that can be a little hard to pronounce, so I just give the polite answer instead, because of the stories. And while I realize how incredibly cheesy this sounds, what can I say? It's also true. While I'm somewhat past my nerdy fan stage, when I still hadn't come to the conclusion that a 12-fight card is a deliberate and cruel way of testing our blind allegiance to the sport, that's one thing that I'm never bored with or sick of. The stories. I've been telling them for a decade, and there's just always more. There's a never-ending supply of them. And while that's something that I guess people who cover any sport will probably tell you, and that is probably true unless they cover golf, I do think that there are factors in MMA that make it a particularly rich area. From just the amount of talent constantly coming into what is simultaneously an unforgiving and also very accessible sport, to the number of events all the time, to the level of access we get to these athletes, the way MMA is set up is a storyteller's dream. An unsettling dream that might have been fueled by illegal psychoactive agents, perhaps, but a dream nonetheless. Behind it all, no matter your beat, no matter what type of reporting you do, whether you're into stats and numbers or you're into, you know, actually interesting things, there's the one building block to it all, the fighters. Whether you're focusing on how effective they are in the cage or the chances of them being effective against 
a certain opponent or the circumstances that even got them in the cage in the first place, that part doesn't change. Obviously, the focus of my work isn't on predicting fight outcomes or breaking down intricate submissions. I'm not particularly interested in doing that. And to be honest, I'm just flat out bad. Like, for real, I am not above admitting I still can't tell a dart choke from an anaconda. But even if what I talk about has less to do with who utilized their reach better and more to do with who's dealing with the emotional aftermath of a career-threatening injury, there's still one fact that I always keep in mind. These are some legit athletes that I'm dealing with. Just this past Saturday, for instance, in California, Chris Cyborg beat Julia Budd to earn a Bellator title, her fourth title in a major MMA promotion. Fourth! This is an athlete who's been in this sport for 15 years, who's only lost twice throughout this time, and who, at 34, is still showing us different dimensions of a game that was scary enough 10 years ago. Meanwhile, in North Carolina, you had 28-year-old heavyweight Curtis Blades being his usual tidal wave of a person against a former champion, and 32-year-old Michael Chiesa reinventing himself as a welterweight after years of putting his body through hell to hit a weight limit that I, a 5'8 woman, haven't hit since I was 11. Darian Caldwell, Angela Hill, Sergio Pettis, Arnold Allen, like, these are all legit athletes that we got to see outperform themselves and their fellow legit athletes in just a few hours. And it's easy to take that shit for granted sometimes. A terribly annoying argument that I constantly found myself in when I worked in a sports channel was, and I want you to imagine me saying this like that SpongeBob meme, but MMA isn't a real sport. And while I really did not have the patience to get into it with slightly different versions of the same middle-aged dude who really liked Formula One, I just said this, fine, think whatever you want, MMA really isn't for everyone, and to be honest, there's a lot about the sport that isn't very sportsy. But here's one fundamental fact about MMA, its players are real athletes. And that is why, even when I have my own questions about how exactly to define or think about MMA, I still call it a sport, simply because I don't want to invalidate the work of those who do it. Of course, that is not to say we owe these athletes positive coverage, or that the work that they do in the cage is supposed to keep us from commenting on some of the bad stuff that happens outside of it. Obviously, that's kind of not how I go about things given this entire podcast and what I do every week with it. But guess what? It is entirely possible to acknowledge all of it, especially when you keep in mind something that I'm always bringing up, that these are not robots. These are humans, just like the rest of us, perhaps with better looking abs and quads than us, but still. That means that just like the rest of us, they are flawed and they fuck up sometimes. They're not always going to say the things we wanted and hoped. They're not always going to act like we wanted and hoped. And they're not always going to perform the way we wanted and hoped. But then they're also capable of performing incredible feats of physical and emotional strength, of displaying almost incomprehensible courage, of twisting people's limbs into submissions just by using the right leverage of the hips and knocking them out cold by ducking at just the right time and hitting just the right button on their jaws. Isn't this crazy? That these are human bodies and minds putting themselves through months of training and dieting, 
politely answering questions from reporters just minutes after getting lit up and sparring, then making the walk to the cage, wrapped in very minimal clothing, while an arena full of people applaud and yell or tell them casually that they're gonna die. Uh, They get locked in the cage and then they have to ignore all those people and all those cameras and focus on this other person who's looking to harm them and maybe break their orbital bones and cost them half their paychecks in the process. I just... I will never, ever get over how insane it all is. And even if my feelings on this sport aren't always warm and fuzzy, and that my neurotic and broken brain is constantly wrecked with self-doubt and guilt, this is something that I always, always keep sight of. Through it all, we still get to see great athletes doing some crazy shit inside a cage. And that's pretty damn cool. Our second item is also one of those that I will approach differently depending on the day that you ask. Today, blame it on my sleep-deprived haze or on the amount of caffeine that I'm dumping into my body to counter it, but I am throwing it on the pros column. (laughs) Another good thing about MMA is that there's always some of it going on. Look, there are plenty of perfectly reasonable arguments as to why the inflated calendar of events can be a problem. For us who actually work in MMA, it means almost entirely giving up on the idea of weekends. For fighters, it means there's always so much happening that it's harder to stake a claim in people's memories and their fandom. And for fighters, it can be hard to develop meaningful interest in specific cards and players, given how diluted it all can get. But the other side of it is that whatever happens, there's always MMA on. (laughs) And solid, high-stakes MMA too. Not just the type that gives you mindless fun and awesome Kaposa gifts, though that can be great too, but also the type that gets you invested. Whether it's a UFC headliner, or a Bellator Grand Prix battle, an Invicta FC title fight, or a PFL tournament route that is getting someone closer to a million-dollar check, we are always given not only fights to watch, but narratives to think, talk, read, and write about. There is always content, and if you're someone who, say, has a tendency to enjoy solitude and the comfort of couches and a nice Merlot and is constantly looking for excuses to, say, get out of plans that don't involve solitude and the comfort of couches and a nice Merlot, you can always just say that there's a card that weekend and unfortunately you have to cover it because, well, it's your job. Not that that's something I would ever do, of course. Hear that, friend who I may or may not have flaked on claiming I had work to do? I definitely had work to do that one time I flaked on you, whenever that was. Point is, although the Spice Girls did have a point when they said that too much of something is bad enough, they did say that too much of nothing is just a stuff. So just be glad that your craving for human blood is constantly satisfied on television, okay, you fucking degenerate? Now, this one sort of ties into the previous item, Another thing that I really dig about MMA is that there's something in it for everyone. Again, not to make this about myself, but making it about myself because, well, that's kind of my thing. (laughs) My MMA appreciation varied throughout the years. Meaning, depending on when you ask, I would give you a different answer as to what my favorite thing about it was. I had my just bleed phase, in which I just fully enjoyed to see blood squirting out of open wounds and couldn't wait to see something break. I had my scholarly phase, in which I religiously watched technical videos and carefully observed angles and feints and foot movement and all that nerdy stuff that guys like Dan Tom, that mad genius, are so good at breaking down. 
I've had phases in which I actually enjoyed sloppiness and phases when I considered myself too educated to appreciate the same type of messy striking that some of those filthy casuals seem to feast in. The barbarians. And then I migrated and somewhat settled into my current stage in which I'm frankly more interested in what goes on around the cage than what it does in it. And also in which I'm able to enjoy a bloody, gritty brawl as much as I can enjoy a high-paced scrap where very little damage is taken. One thing that has remained through it all, though, no matter what my focus was, MMA never ceased to be interesting to me. Because whatever it was that I was looking for, I could find it. I still can. If you want crazy pyrotechnical events that occasionally pit bodybuilders against strongmen, there's KSW being all weird and freaky and fun. If you want tournaments featuring MMA legends in matchups you never would have thought of, or prospects and veterans mixing it up in competitive divisions, look no further than Bellator's Grand Prix. If it's the perfect mix of up-and-coming talent and sheer personality you're looking for, there's Invicta FC, and of course, there's the UFC if you really want to impress chicks at bars. From high-level technicians to reckless brawlers, with gravity-defying acrobats in between, from respectful family-man-type characters to obnoxious loudmouths, there's always a little bit for everyone in the simple platter of insanity. And if you can't find anything for you... Well, then maybe that's why no one invites you to parties, Gary. The next item is oddly specific. But the cool thing about having my own podcast is that I get to make these decisions by myself and pretend like I made them confidently, even though I second-guess every single one of them and constantly say as much to producer Chris, who in turn has to constantly reassure me and basically act as my unlicensed therapist every week. Hey, I never pretended like I was normal, but... Where was I before I did my thing of making everything about myself? Oh yes, good things about MMA. How about head kicks? Flyingies, I know you're having your moment and I'ma let you finish, but head kicks are just a timeless classic. So beautiful in their simplicity, so uncomplicated, yet so brutal and satisfying. Put it like this, if flying and spinning shit is like a complicated dish involving truffles and balsamic reductions, a head kick is just like a juicy piece of steak. Which might be a bad analogy for a vegetarian, but bear with me here. Point is, head kicks are just the best. And so versatile too. They can be gracious and elongated, thrown from the perfect distance after feeling out processes and calculations, or they can just be these short-range, clumsy shots in which a shin almost accidentally hits the side of a face. It doesn't matter. They're like snowflakes, all beautiful and unique in their own little ways. If snowflakes could fuck up someone's jaw so badly that it has to be wired shut, but Again, perhaps not the best analogy, but I guess at this point we can just establish that I'm a bit of a mess today and humor me for a bit. Bottom line is, I get why we're so quick to fawn over Superman punch knockouts or spinning back fists or twister submissions. They're beautiful and rare and technically difficult to land, but the head kick? The head kick is just nasty, and I am all the way here for that. Now for an item that might surprise you. Another good thing about MMA is MMA Twitter. Okay, I know you're thinking, but Fernanda, isn't this whole podcast about how social media is a dumpster fire of basement-dwelling incels who spend their time belittling women online so as to avoid confronting the fact that their feelings of loneliness and inadequacy don't stem from others, but from themselves? 
And I can see why you would think that, you know, given how much of this podcast really is about that, but that is not the entirety of my experience online. In fact, whether it's because I've hit that sweet mute spot or because I might scare people a little, it's not even the majority of my experience online. Unfortunately, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, the negative stuff is the stuff that stings and sticks. It's also the stuff that I, particularly, find it's important to discuss with this very specific space, but that doesn't mean that it's all there is to it. I have to confess that before I started this podcast, I was very, very worried about something. Well, I was worried about everything because that's how I roll, but I was worried about the toll that it might take on my very fragile mental health. <laughs> I was worried it would be received poorly and that I'd get a shit ton of hate online. Granted, that was a little presumptuous given it would involve having haters that cared enough to even listen and disparage me online, but yeah, it was a real fear. While I know that I shouldn't care about the opinions of self-proclaimed family men who say they love God while simultaneously discussing the amount of semen they would like to dispose on my face, I'm just not that magnanimous. Hate hurts me in whatever form, even if I have gotten better at putting it in perspective over time. But the thing is, I didn't get that with this podcast. I got quite the opposite. I'm not famous by any means. I'm not out there being listened by thousands, but the few people who do listen are kind of awesome. <laughs> they, you, go out of their way to reassure me and support me and to get feedback and send questions when I ask for help. It was an enormous surprise, really. These are not people who I hang out with in my real life. These are not people who I went to university with or who, you know, are forced to encourage me due to blood ties. These are mostly people I've never met in real life and whom I wouldn't even know if it wasn't for Twitter, whose interactions with me are exclusively virtual. And here they are, cheering me on and making me feel welcome and like I give something valuable to this space and this community. It's mind-boggling, and I mean that in the best of ways. And honestly, I don't think I would even be here doing this if it wasn't for MMA Twitter. It sounds strange to say it, but Twitter is how I made a lot of important work connections, particularly with people who are geographically quite distanced from me, like my employers. <laughs> It's how I've made my presence known in the MMA community. It was a chance to practice my English, for one thing, because I obviously live my everyday life in Portuguese, and a chance to get a pulse, really, on the market. Twitter is really what prompted this podcast and how I get so many of my ideas and my insights from my writing. I know some people might think it's lame or whatever, and I know we're very quick to attribute someone's online nastiness to the fact that they don't have quote-unquote real lives, but social media is not not real life, if that makes any sense. I mean, it's real life for me. It's ultimately led to a real paycheck that I used to buy real groceries and pay real bills for one. And it's that's just part of it. I mean... We all know the importance of being part of a community. And while for some people that community is family or just real life networks that they formed in high school or college, for others like me, our communities are very much online. I mean, I particularly was a total outcast growing up, had a horrendous time in school, and it was in chat rooms that I first started really developing a sense of identity. I got to not be the fat kid with the bad teeth and a proneness to crying fits and be something else, <laughs> even if at that time I couldn't really tell what that something else was. Thankfully, things got better in terms of my social life over the years, but I remain very much a socially awkward introvert, and I still get a lot of my basic human need for social interaction online. 
I just don't do it via Merc anymore. And kids, unless you want to make me feel ancient, don't ask me what that was. Just Google it. I guess that's what a lot of people would define as pathetic. And in fairness, I am pretty pathetic in general. But I think that that's a bit of a mischaracterization. Of course, you don't want your entire sense of self to be defined by what is ultimately an icon on your phone says. But it's very weird that people would spend so much of their lives online and still dismiss social media as this silly little thing for our fingers to fiddle with when they're bored. I don't. MMA is a big part of my life, which means that MMA Twitter also happens to take up a lot of my day. And I wouldn't let that be the case if it was an overwhelmingly toxic and harmful space. No job and no podcast would ever be worth it. The reason why I spend so much of my day there is also because there is a lot of it that is so cool. I get to go in there on Saturday night and make jokes and trade insights about fights with hilarious and kind people who live halfway across the world from me. There are people making ridiculous memes and sharing insane gifts and keeping us informed or entertained or both. You have... (laughs) uninspired beefs and nasty attacks, of course, but you also get constructive and intelligent discussions. You have people asking for pictures of puppies when they're sad and getting them and making real friends in the process. I know I have made real friends in the process. And if that makes me a total nerd, then so be it. Alex Volkanovsky says that's cool anyway. Well, that is it for this week's episode. Hopefully those thoughts made some type of sense outside my head. If they didn't, well, consider protecting my ego and not telling me about it. And maybe give me another chance next week. I'll be here, as usual, stressing out and talking about MMA and other stuff. 